I went in to talk to my coach after that summer. I told him I wanted to be on the track team and I wanted to do the sprints and he almost died laughing. He said, you know what, the only way you're going to make this team is if you were to do something that nobody else was going to do or willing to do, and that was to do hurdles. And my high school didn't even have any hurdles. So I was so determined to make the track team and to be good at track that I actually ran out in the grass field over imaginary hurdles for most of the season. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. And I'm your other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, Michael, do we have an exceptional guest lined up for the podcast today. He is one of, I think, both of our childhood sporting heroes Growing up, I watched him on the track, set world records, win Olympic gold, and I've had the privilege of having him as one of my mentors and coaches, particularly in the arena of health, well-being, energy, and mindset. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legend himself, Mark McCoy. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Nikki and Michael. Pleasure to be here. And I'd like to meet this legend sometime myself. (laughs) Well, listen, Mark, the name of this podcast is The Business of Thought Leadership. And the people who listen to this tend to be folks like uh, coaches, consultants, and thought leaders, as well as aspiring coaches, consultants, and thought leaders. These are people who are really interested in finding ways of how to commercialize their passion, their expertise out in the marketplace. You've managed to do that in your career at many levels. Could you just maybe start off by telling everybody your story, how you got to be Mark McCoy and where you are in the world today? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank my parents. That's how I became Mark McCoy. <laughs> they brought me into this world and they gave me very specific mm-hmm. genes, I'm guessing. Yeah, I was very fortunate um, and, and in more ways than one. Uh, obviously, I was blessed with good genetics. I say that, uh, I'll tell a lot of people that it's, it's funny because none of my family are athletic at all. I have five brothers and sisters and both of my parents, none of, none of which are athletes. So I was always wondering, where did I get that blessing from? But uh, I was, and I've been searching for that for years. Uh, I decided to forget that and just uh, roll with it, take my blessings. And I think I was really blessed with an attitude of achieving things and, and going for things and, and not giving up on things. And those traits I got from my parents, even though they weren't athletic traits, but they, I think they applied to everything across the board, as you know. So when I was young, I got this drive in me to, to succeed in whatever I did and never give up until I accomplished it. So I got a, I got a passion for track and field early in my early uh, years, being brought up in England. It was track and soccer with two main sports there. And I I, I love doing both. I started to focus on, on track more when I came to Canada and uh, specifically turned to hurdles where I did quite well the first year that I attempted them. So um, I continued in that. I did have my hurdles along the way, excuse the pun, <laughs> but I think just my drive and my passion and my desire to do well helped me continue through adversity going from high school, getting a scholarship to the States and and running in the States for a few years, and then eventually ending up in uh, Great Britain, 
Um, one of my things I always talk about, and we'll probably talk about this later, is surrounding yourself with people who are better than you, people who have the same interests in you and the same drive as you. And those are the type of people that make you better. And that's what I did throughout my career from high school all the way, all the way through to the Olympics. Finally, by doing that, as you said in the beginning, achieved my dream of uh, winning an Olympic gold medal. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mark, you know, our, our listeners really interested in some of the elements of your backstory of how you came to be. And I know when you started running track, you, you, you've shared with me this story, which would be great if you could share for the listener around how you tried to get on the track team and what your coach said, because uh, I think it's a fantastic example of, of, of overcoming adversity powerfully. Sure. So like I said, I, I, I loved soccer and I loved track. I loved all sports when I was growing up. And when I came here, when I was about came here at 12 and I started concentrating on hurdles when I was 15. And that was because I was watching the Olympics, which I always did as a child. In 1976, Montreal Olympics, and I was watching the 100 meters. I like speed. I like moving fast. I like watching things that are fast. And, um, and I watched the 100 meter final and I was like, oh, that's, I, I want to be the fastest man in the world. So that was my real dream. Because nobody in their right mind gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I want to run over these huge, heavy barriers, which are going to kill yourself half the time. It's something that I sort of fell into because I wasn't fast enough to be the fastest man in the world. I went in to talk to my coach after that summer. I told him I wanted to be on the track team and I wanted to do the sprints and he almost died laughing because I was just a little skinny kid. Looked like I was more adapted to being in a glee, glee club rather than the track team. He said, you know what? The only way you're going to make this team is if you were to do something that nobody else was going to do or willing to do and that was to do hurdles. And as the story goes, as you know it, uh, my high school didn't even have any hurdles. So I was so determined to make the track team and to be good at track that I actually ran out in the grass field over imaginary hurdles for most of the season. And, uh, you know, as, as I've told you the story before, my first attempts to actually run a race were disastrous because uh, it's, it's a little bit different running over actual barriers as compared to the imaginary ones. So it took me a few months to actually adjust to that. And like I said, it, I think it was just my desire was so, so strong that uh, the first year I won the Ontario High School Championships and I've never looked back from there. So Mark, what's amazing about that, I think, is you know most people, their school doesn't have hurdles, they wouldn't even go for it. Most people would, would say, forget it. And let's say some people would say, okay, I'll run over these imaginary virtual hurdles or whatever. And then they get to their first race and, 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 and you know, they finish dead last. Like you said, you had, they'd say, okay, forget it. This isn't for me. That's horrible. But that's not how you reacted. You reacted very differently. You, you took that adversity and uh, you turned it into success. What is it about your mindset that allowed you to do that? Because that's not the way most people think. That's right. And you know what? I, I, my dad, my whole life, when I was younger, would say, Mark, like, I, was like, I was always itchy. I was always moving. I was like, like, I got ADD. And I think most people who can't sit still or want to get things done do in, a, in a, one way or the other. And he was always sitting down reading a book. He said, Mark, you got to sit down and read a book. And I used to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I read a book all the way through high school. I used to, it wow. just, I just couldn't sit still that, that, that long. And I had, you know, over the last couple of years, I you know, finally took my dad's advice. And the first book I read, and I've talked to you about this again many times, and all of these guys, the Tony Robbins of the world, and all these great motivational speakers, 
It all comes from Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And when I look back at his principles, sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm like, what, what am I missing? What don't people get? And if you, you know, I suggest that everybody who, who is into success, who wants to be that 1%, because that's really what it is. Most people, and it's okay, most people just go through life. They go through school, they get married, they get a job, they have kids, they come home, they watch TV, they grab a beer, and they're happy and, you know, good for them. But there are the 1% who want a lot more than that. And I'm, I'm in that 1% and you're in that 1% and doesn't mean we're going to make it, but we're not going to give up until we get there. So the principles in the book are, you know, you can call it what you want. You can call it dreams. You know, all athletes say, oh, I had this dream or I have this passion or this, it, you know what? You have to want something so badly because it's not easy. Like the principles are really, really simple, but it's not easy. It's going to be a lot of hard work. There's going to be a lot of hurdles in the way. It's going to be a lot of failures and disappointments. So you really have to have a, a burn, as, as he puts it, a burning desire to do something. And then you got to do what it takes. Most people, they want things in life, but I always say, you don't get what you want in life. You get what you deserve. So when I'm standing on that start line and I know I missed a couple of days of training or I was sick or injured or whatever my excuse might've been for that year, I knew what, I knew if I was going to do well or not. I wanted to win. Sure. But, uh, you get what you deserve. And if you haven't put in the work, you're not going to win. So I always, I always tell people, you know, everybody wants things. And working in the fitness industry, as you know, is I see people all the time coming up with excuses. Oh, I was sick. Oh, I had to take the kids here. You know what? And I didn't lose weight. Well, you know what? You, the first thing, you got to show up. <laughs> You're not going to get any results fitness-wise if you don't show up. Secondly, when you get there, you got to work your ass off. It's going to hurt. And you got to watch your diet and you got to do all those things. So you get in life what you deserve, not what you want. And the third thing, as, you can, as we'll go over as we go through this today, is it took me 16 years. And most successful people aren't gonna make it the first time or the second time or the hundredth time. Oh, Edison, yeah, 10,000 times it took him. To invent the light bulb. Yeah, invent the light bulb, that's right. And, he, and, he, and his, his, his attitude was the same. He didn't fail 10,000 times. He found, he was successfully, successfully found 10,000 ways it didn't work. And that's the type of attitude you have to have. It's, it's, you have to keep going and going, no matter how long it takes, no matter how many times you fail, uh, you just got to keep going. And eventually, if you keep going long enough, as I proved, you'll make it. That's great, Mark. And simple, but not easy. And I love how, I always love how you break things down to just the raw bits and pieces. So uh, excellent message. You started to allude to it in the beginning of this interview, but you worked for 16 years and you worked really, really hard. And then you had what I think we're going to start calling the working hard break. <laughs> we call it the lucky break, but people are like, there's no luck. Uh, so we're going to call it the hard work and damn, I, this is hard. Oh, I got a break. That's, Can you share that hard working, long drawn out break for our audience? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that's another part of the, the equation is, and it, and it was, it, it, there is luck, you know, but I always tell people you have to be ready when it's your, you know, everybody has luck, but uh, if you're not ready, when your luck comes, then you're going to miss your opportunity. So everybody has it somewhere. And that's why you got to keep working all the time, no matter what, not barriers get in your way, because one day it's going to be there. And if you didn't do the work, you're not going to get there. So when I, when I started in track, I just happened to be a part of the best track and field sprint group in Canadian history, because I was with a group that was at the time, it was right here in Toronto. I was able to join and 
it made me work hard because everybody had the same goals. Everybody had the same desire. Everybody worked really, really hard. So there's a lucky break there. It just happened to be in the right place at the right time in the right decade. From there, I went down to the States and was training. And I just happened to be in the same conference as a guy named Ronaldo Nehemiah, who happened to be the best hurdler in the world at the time. And I ran against him in a race right here in Toronto. I just went up to him. I said, uh, Mr. Nehemiah, you're the number one hurdler in the world. You're the world record holder. I'm just starting out. What do I need to do? And you know what? If you, if you ask successful people, they will help you. If you ask people who are selfish and, you know, I think they portray a, a, a feeling of success, but they're not really successful. Successful people are, are willing to help people. And he sat down with me for a good hour in a hotel lobby. And he said, Mark, you need to do this, 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 and this. this is what I do. And I looked at it and I'm like, damn, I'm not even like my, his warm up was more than my workout for the week. I'm doing something wrong. So again, right place, right time. My mentor at the time was like the best in the world. You always try to seek the best people to surround yourself with. And from that one conversation, I went from nowhere, nobody, um, barely making races to being Commonwealth champion, Commonwealth record holder, and ranked five, fifth in the world in one year of work by surrounding yourself and getting good input from good mentors. From there, I used to run against my good buddy and the next great world champion, uh, uh, Colin Jackson. And I, I retired for a little while after Seoul and I uh, was always in contact with Colin. And he asked me to come over to Britain and trade with him because we'd become good friends. He noticed I was a little down on my luck. I think he just felt sorry for me. But anyway, he told me to come over there. And in my mind, again, same thing. He was number one in the world. His coach was like an amazing coach. He had more Olympic and world champions than any other coach. I'm like, this is my break, my lucky break again. I get to train with the best in the world. And it was like stepping stones. Each time I, I moved to a new group, they were just that little bit better, that little bit better, that little bit more motivated, that little bit more driven. And I found the group that was the most driven and with the most success uh, of any hurdle group in, in, the, in the world at the time. And that's my lucky break, as you put it. Hard work in break, but I still call it a lucky break. But when my lucky break came, I made sure I was ready for it. So the lucky break, uh, you know, to uh, amalgamate what you said and what Michael said is, in a, is y you get lucky because you get an opportunity to work really, really hard as a result of that luck. And only if you take that opportunity and you work really, really hard, do you actually get the results. Um, I, I think you, yeah, I think you create your own luck is what you should maybe call it. Yeah. So, so Mark, you had prior to meeting with Colin, you'd set some world records. You'd been in the Olympic final twice before. Uh, and you missed out on a medal both times. I mean, what was it that had it not work then? And what was it that had it work this time? And, and specifically, I know you tell the story about having the right mentor. If you could maybe talk about that and tell the story of how Malcolm helped you figure out what was wrong with what you were doing. Yeah, and again, it's I can break it down. As Michael said earlier, it's I like to keep things so... Sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm just, I just don't get it. It's like, why do people complicate things so much? It's not that complicated. Yes, it's hard work. Yeah, Michael and so, I need to hear that message from you today because both of us are complicating something a little bit right now. <laughs> there's no reason to... Like, it's, you know, if, the, the further you break things down and keep them simple, the more successful anybody's going to be. And it really comes down to preparation. 
I had this conversation just recently with a bunch of my colleagues. And the reason that I was more successful in 92 than the other ones is because I always tell a story too about people thinking that Americans are cocky, but they're athletes. And they are. You <laughs> but, think? <laughs> so, but I, I, there's a very fine line between being cocky and being confident. And when they go out on that track, and uh, for example, as Nicky knows the stories because he's heard me many, many times, Michael Johnson, a reporter asked him, like, why did you have these gold shoes? What if you come second? And Michael said, well, I, you know, I, I train to win. I don't train to come second. So these guys go out there and they're confident, even if they don't win all the time, which you can't, they go out there to win and they go out there, they go out to, to win because they've done the work. If you ever see what Michael Johnson did for training, you knew he was going to win. If you were a competitor of his, you knew you were in trouble unless you were out there because he works hard. He didn't just get that good from, um, you know, showing up at practice every once in a while. It's all in the preparation. And each group I was with, each coach I was with, prepared me that little bit better. So that when I stood on that line, my confidence level was higher because I prepared better. And like I said, you get in life what you deserve, not what you want. And I think in 92, finally, I did all the work. When I went over to Britain, uh, the, the, the story you were alluding to is, again, coming back to simplicity, guys. So take note of this. This is especially for you guys. Forget everybody else that's listening. But for you guys, to keep things simple, for 13 years, I'd worked with Ronaldo Nehemiahs, with, uh, you know, down on scholarship with the state, lots of coaches, with really good athletes. And for 13 years, thought I was working as hard as I could. And I went over to, to Malcolm and I learned, I actually learned three things. And the first thing was when he watched me run for the first time, 13 seconds, just over one flight of hurdles, he said, Mark, your foot is crooked. And I know you know the story. It was one inch off. Instead of being completely parallel, if you can think of both feet landing off a hurdle, um, one after the other being parallel to each other, one was at maybe a 10 degree or 15 degree off to the side, which lost me an inch on every step, put me off balance, and a whole bunch of, of different things. And it wasn't a matter of having to you know, train to get that foot straight. It's just a matter I wasn't thinking. Nobody in 13 years had seen this. So that's what happens when you surround yourself with the best and you prepare is just by Malcolm just said, just put your foot straight. <laughs> so I put my foot straight and it gave me the yard that I needed to win, win the Olympics. The other thing I learned was over here, we always had this attitude as we're working so hard. We had to work hard a day, take a day off, hard a day or, or work hard one day, easy next day, hard one day, easy next day, take the weekends off. Well, I went over there and we used to work hard in spikes, flat out 100% seven days a week. And people over here say, you can't do that. Your body needs to recover. What about, but you know what? Don't care what you say. We did it. And then we did it for year after year after year. And if you look at Michael Phelps, I, I heard an interview by his coach and he worked out for five years straight without missing one day, not for birthdays, Christmas, sickness, nothing. And wow. I don't need to tell you about Michael Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> Most <laughs> decorated in history, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. No, it, it's belief. It's um, surrounding yourself with other people who, you know, because it, it helps you to believe because most people here would say that's, you know, you can't do that. It's impossible. Well, I'm around a whole group of people who believe it is possible and who we did do it and it was possible. You know? So you got to get yourself in the right environment and it's that preparation that gives you the confidence to stand on the line and say, you know what, I deserve this. 
Beautiful. I just absolutely love that message. That is, you know, we it's hard to put that into a marketing message, but it's believe in yourself, put yourself in the right environment with the right people. It really is just that simple. Certainly not easy. Absolutely not. But I'm going to shift strides here. Little pun for you, Mark. Huh. I'm going to shift strides. We're going to move over to a little bit of this conversation of thought leadership, but in, particularly for you, how have you leveraged your experiences in Olympic success in business? Well, again, I'll keep it simple for you. Love it. Uh, it's really, really easy to like to from right. I've done a, a few different things, but like for example, when I when I retired, I actually didn't want to do any coaching or training or anything. I just wanted to drink beer and get fat. I've done it for so many years. I was like, I've had enough. But I went into and I opened up a martial arts studio. It was my first venture. Um, I never done martial arts before in my life. I've never done business. I haven't finished school. But I just had this idea that I, I love martial arts. I've always wanted to do it. I'm going to do it. And not only that, I'm just going to, open up, up, with the help of some friends, of course, open up a school. And it was within a year, one of the most successful schools in the area. Most, most uh, competing schools had about 100 students. We had 1,000. And wow. simply, well, two things. Well, number, uh, number one, again, I found a school. It's actually out in Hamilton. I drove to Hamilton every single day to learn martial arts because it was a very successful school. They had 1,000 students out there. Nobody else had that. I wanted to know what they did. I wanted to do what they did. The sensei who was a black belt conducting the classes was you know, not only a great teacher, but he was also a great businessman. And he had a system in place. And I was like, I'm just going to, you just follow somebody's system. Like everybody tries to create the wheel. It's all been done before, unless you're an Edison with a great mind, but it's all been done before. And if you want to be successful, just follow those people who are successful. I always tell Nikki is like, look at what everybody else is doing and do the exact opposite. Most people aren't successful. So if you want to, if you want to be successful, don't follow what everybody else is doing. You're going to get the criticisms. You're going to get the naysayers. Those are the normal people who don't succeed in anything. You got to think outside of the box and you just got to follow the people who are of the same mind, who, you know, who are not scared to take chances and who are already successful. Just follow what they do. So I just copied him and my school, like I said, within a year was the most successful school in the area. And it doesn't hurt to have a gold medal in your pocket. <laughs> you can attract a little more customers than that. I'll bet, I'll bet, I'll bet. So you've also, you also do a fair amount of public speaking and things like that as well. So how did that come about? How did you leverage your gold medal status to be able to generate those kinds of opportunities? It's the same thing. You know, it's, 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 it's harder now because it's 25 years past my due date, so to speak. But, you know, I tell you what, an Olympic medal, if you guys have a spare 16 years, you know, with nothing to do, go get yourself one. Highly recommend it, Okay. <laughs> Because it opens doors everywhere. But as I said, I things I get now, I used to feel a little bad that I get I get a lot more than most people around me, other personal trainers. But I deserve it because I put in the time. I put in those 16 years when they were partying at school and, and doing whatever they I focused, I did what I wanted to do, and now I'm leveraging myself off of that. So, you know, when you have an Olympic gold medal, companies call you up and they ask you to speak. They want to know about that experience. They know what they want to know what it took. It, it really, really, you know, has opened a lot of doors for me. But like I said, I, I, uh, I put the time in. I, I uh, sacrificed 20 years of my life to be able to do this. And if you look at most successful people, Napoleon Hill, it took him 20 years to write that book. It takes time. Most people don't persevere that long. Yeah, stay in the game. Play the, play the, long, the long game. 
Mark, what would you? What advice would you give our listener who who may not have your credentials, the gold medal, and and your experience and expertise on how they can take their passion and ex- expertise and leverage it into their own success? First, read that book, Think and Grow Rich. It's a, it's the foundation to everything. It's not everybody has a gold medal. It doesn't have to be at the Olympics. I think everybody is capable of their own Olympic championship. They just have to find that, find out what it is that they're passionate about, that they're really passionate about, that they won't give up and they'll do whatever it takes. I think, again, most people say, and the fitness industry is a great example of that, is I want to lose weight, I want to be fit, but I only want to show up every once in a while. You're not, you know, that's not a passion. That's not a, that's not a burning desire. A burning desire is a woman who I have in my class who has had a bad back her whole life and she started coming a year ago and now she does six classes a week, two, two classes a day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And now she's got what she wanted. She wanted to be out of pain. She wanted to be fit and she wanted to be able to do the things she wants to walk around and don't have to worry about her back anymore. And that's a burning desire that, you know, people who are in pain or sick, that's usually what changes people's lives. If you can find that in other areas of your life and just find that one thing that's going to get you out of bed at four or five o'clock in the morning. When I'm not training people, I'm researching. I'm doing, I'm, uh, you know, we didn't have this back in my day. <laughs> these guys are fortunate. There's YouTube, there's Google, there's all these things. You can find out what successful people do. And one thing I said, like, what time do successful people get up in the world? And if you look at most of them, CEOs, Starbucks, Disney, like all these like presidents and prime ministers, they, there's always a four in the number. They all get up at four something and they all exercise before they go to work. So if you want something bad enough, just, you know, again, follow what the most successful people do. And that's what they do. You got to, you got to have a passion to jump out of bed in the morning. If, if the alarm goes off at six or six 30 and you, and you're hitting snooze, you're not going to find your gold medal. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. That's really, really, really powerful stuff. Mark, one of the things that we really believe is important here on this podcast, both Michael and I, is that mentorship and peer groups are everything. And I know that you've alluded to that in some of what you've said, but could you really just hammer it home for people how important that's been to your success, having the right people around you, not doing it alone? Because I know you're the first person who taught me that. And there's so many people in this game of thought leadership, right, Michael, that say, I'm, I do it all by myself. I don't need help. And, and they stay stuck. They get on a plateau and they can't get past that, right? And we really want to hear from someone who has proven through his career that that is the wrong approach, why it's so important to have the right peers and the right mentors. Do you want me to simplify that for you? You betcha. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, through, I've been through this for such a long time. And I, my, the example that, you know, that I went through was it was very hard for me at the beginning to find the right group, the right coach in Canada, because we just don't have that environment for that burning success that the Americans do. So I knew from an early age, I got to get to the States. So I decided, you know, because I couldn't find a coach, a group here, I was going to train by myself, which I did for 10 years of my, of my career. And I could always almost get to that level. I was so driven that I was like, I was almost there. You said people who can't give up control will only make it so far. And that's what I was having trouble with. You have to be able to delegate away and let somebody else take care. You know, you 
focus on your strengths and you hire your for your weaknesses. That's what they say. So I, my strengths were certain things which added to the group when I went to Britain, but I needed to relinquish designing the program and you know all the things that go around preparing for a competition and just do it. Also, when I had a manager, it's, it's like I was doing everything. I was booking flights. I was arranging my schedule for track meets. And, you know, that, it, that drains you mentally. When I, when I went over to, to Britain and worked with Colin and Malcolm, and I got myself a new manager at that time as well, which I don't think I've even mentioned to you, which is really important. All I had to do was train. That's it. When he would call me up and say, you have a track meet in Italy on this day. Here's your plane ticket. Get on the plane. That you can't believe how much stress that takes off of you. So I can put more focus and more concentration in what I'm supposed to be doing. If I could train and don't think about anything else and just show up at a race and race, it just, it, this guy said, it just gives me more time to do the things that I'm good at and relinquish that control of things that I'm not good at to somebody else. Mark, you know, I'm just sitting here listening to you and I'm, you're simplifying things and you're hitting some things for me anyways that I'm just looking at my own life and business and I'm thinking, Nikki, I, I don't know if we should put this podcast out for free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no they charge you money for this, right? Oh, you're right about that. Uh, I just had to say that. I love it, Mark. It's brilliant. Very Thanks. inspirational. Very, very, very nice clarity this morning. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, it's, it's, uh, Michael's bang on. You, you know, for myself, the biggest thing I got out of this, uh, Mark and Michael, is the importance of simplicity. Uh, you know, it's um, it's so easy for bright people to overcomplicate things because we like to think and think and think and think, well, should we do it this way or that way or the other way or that? And, and you know what? At the end of the day, what needs to be done is simple. It's not easy as you said it, but it's simple and you just got to focus on that, on the heart of the matter and make it simple. Because if you make it simple, it's a lot easier. And the other thing you said that I really, really like is the importance of having the right peers and doing the things that you're the genius at and delegating the rest or getting the rest out. And, you know, I think we're, we're in, a, in a position right now, Michael and myself, that we can do that more and more all the time. And it's just really important that we stick to that. I think if we do that, our results are going to soar and then our ability to serve our community is going to soar. And thank you for sharing all this. And you know what? What we like to end off our podcast episodes with is to ask our guest for their three expert action steps that they think our listeners should act upon immediately in order to take their thought leadership, their success to the next level. So would you mind sharing those with us, Mark? I will. Again, I'll just re reiterate what we've been talking about all morning. And I said, my, the first thing I do in the morning, I get up and I just, I say, I just, I just don't understand. What am I missing in life? Why do people make things so hard? So just keep things simple. The second is you have to have, if you want to be successful at it, you have to have that burning desire, passion, dream, whatever it is, because like I said, it's simple. It's not easy. You got to be able to jump out of bed, be really excited about something to put the amount of work and effort it's going to take to achieve anything. So, you know, some people, we're going to, I, I coach young hockey players all the time. I can see that it's not them that want it, it's the parents. They're living through their kids. I'm like, if you don't like this, if you don't, I mean, not like, you don't love it. Liking's not good enough. You don't love this, you're, 
wasting your time. Go find something that you love, put there's so much time and effort into it, and you'll have much you'll have much more happiness and be much more successful. And thirdly, I said I think it's my signature is never give up. Most Olympic athletes are lucky if they make one Olympic Games. Two is a, a dream. I was lucky enough to make five teams, and it took me my third Olympics to actually, or my actually my, my third competing, my my fourth Olympics, to achieve my my goals, my dreams, and uh, so you know, just never give up. Most people give up just before things are about to happen. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so you know, just keep going. It has to happen. It's just a law of nature. It just has to happen if you keep going up. And I'll add in number uh, number four for you. Don't listen to me. Go get yourself Think and Grow Rich. Any successful person, if you haven't read that book, you're doing yourself a disservice. So start there. And then you can, all this stuff that I'm talking about, I didn't have it when I was growing up. Somehow it was instinct for me. I didn't learn it. But it, the opportunity is there. You can get it anywhere. That That's a, a book everybody should start with. Awesome. I know, Mark, you've written a couple of fitness books. I had the privilege of co-writing one with you, Mark McCoy's Gold Medal Fitness Secrets, Raw and Real. And then there's another one whose name escapes me right now. They're both available on Amazon. You run a fantastic high-performance program in the Toronto area in Mississauga through uh, One Health Clubs for executives and for sports teams. So uh, if people are interested in that, we'll make sure we put uh, both the One Health Clubs and the markmccoy.com websites up there so people can go there. And I know that you're available for speaking engagements. So if you're listening to this podcast listener and you want to bring Mark into an organization to speak, you'll uh, have that opportunity to do that as well. It's well worth it. And I got to say, I have the privilege of being in one of your high performance training programs, Mark, myself, and my better half. We, we go see you four times a week usually. And it's an absolute privilege. I feel that uh, in my late 40s, I feel like I'm in my uh, mid-20s as a result of being able to uh, to be pushed by you like I was training for the Olympics. It's great. Oh, thanks, Nikki. It's always been a pleasure knowing you and working with you. And also a pleasure getting to know you, Michael. Yeah, it's been great. Hopefully we'll have lots of months and years to work together to help people. Yeah, maybe one of these days we'll drag Michael to the gym. <laughs> Hope springs eternal, as they say. Exactly, exactly. I won't hold my breath. <laughs> there you Smart go. man. There you go. Awesome. Well, that wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership. For all of the show notes and the gold that was in this episode, please go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com and subscribe as a, a community member. You'll get updates on the show. And you know what? This show was so valuable. I have to say, hit the send button. Send this to people that are in that 1% that want to be successful, that want to take their game to the next level. Share it with your community. It would really help us out. And we would love to be sharing this content all over the world. Thank you and goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.